I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. It's time to review what may become the most important words in the 2014 midterm and 2016 presidential campaigns. These words are not immigration or gun control or employment. They're neither liberal or conservative. The most important words just may be micro-targeting, data mining, analytics. That's because the science of campaigning is hitting an all-new level. Not only can politicians and campaigns target you through direct mail and online, through websites, social media, blogs, and more, they're now combining data about what you buy, wear, and read with television. Yes, what you watch. And not just which channel, but which show, every click you make. And while Big Brother can't connect all this data down to you personally, at least not as far as we know, the science of campaigning is innovating at record speed. What does this mean for the future of campaigns and voter turnout? How exactly will politicians deliver the right messages to the right voters at the right time? And while it's all surely fascinating, is it good? Alex Lundry is one of the political world's foremost campaign scientists. He served as director of data science for Mitt Romney in the 2012 campaign. He is now co-founder of Deep Root Analytics and chief data scientist at Target Point Consulting, helping to find the vanguard and intersection of political and technical development. Alex, thanks for joining me. Just to be clear, do you know what I was watching on television this morning? I mean, how scared of you do I need to be? <laughs> uh, well, you shouldn't be scared. And no, I don't know what you were watching this morning on television. Um, fortunately, for a variety of reasons, when we're matching things like voter files into this television consumption behavior, it's done in an aggregated and anonymized fashion. So you know, what that means is that I can't look up a very specific individual, but if on my end I've flagged a group of individuals as people for whom I'm interested in their, in their TV uh, viewing behavior, then I can get information about what that group of people watches in the aggregate. So the the Wall Street Journal uh, described it in this this new stage, and I've got some some kind of background questions for you as well. But they, they define this new technology as marrying private consumer research with detailed voter information and big batches of ratings data. Is that right? Is that what we're talking about? And then kind of talk, talk to me practically about you know kind of literally what does that mean. Yeah, sure. So what's happening is that there are a variety of different data islands that are being connected here. There's first and foremost the base voter file, which is uh, collected by the Secretary of State. When you go and you register to vote, you provide your name, your address. Um, in Voting Rights Act states, you, you provide your race or ethnicity. Um, and that information is then maintained by the Secretary of State along with your voter turnout in various elections. Uh, for as long as you have a record, uh, a voting record in that state. And we start with that voter file, and then we'll go off and we'll uh, append various other data islands to it. Uh, the one you've probably heard the most about is the consumer, uh, consumer data provided by these consumer data aggregators. And, and that's the sort of thing you may have heard about, like uh, magazine subscriptions or, you know, memberships or, you know, uh, information about one's uh, home size or home lot, um, that sort of information. 
Um, and now what we're doing is we're taking that integrated data set and we have the ability using a third-party anonymous match to match that into uh, set-top box viewing data, which is, which is actual information uh, uh, gathered by television set-top boxes about what that box was watching at a certain uh, uh, time on a certain date. And so all of this is getting kind of hooked together um, but again, it's very important to emphasize here uh, with the set-top box viewing data, that's not at an individual level. That's at an anonymized, aggregated level. And so, and, and we'll get into the anonymity because that's surely everyone's first, you know, question and concern, you know, if not for, you know, NSA questions just in general. I mean, even going back to mm-hmm. Robert Bork and, and you know, video, uh, you know, what videos are being rented and that sort of thing. I mean, privacy is obviously a massive concern. So, so, so we'll deal with that. But, but assuming for right now that all of that is being handled properly, a heck of an assumption, I, I understand. But assuming that it is, so you're, you're, how are you tying together or how can one tie together the magazine I subscribe to with the car I drive with the show I watch and then say, okay, I understand this, this person. I don't know it's Reback, but I understand this person and I want to hit him or her with this type of message. How does the, what, what is it about those pieces of information that give you a clearer picture about who I am? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's not as mystical as it may sound. It's basically the sort of thing that you and I and everybody else in this world does every single day, which is we rely on our experience and our, and our, our, our what we've kind of seen before come before us and use the data we've collected over the course of our lives to come to some informed conclusion about, about who a person is that we don't know. Uh, and and the, the example I use is, you know, if a, if a Prius drove down the street and it was there was no, you know, Republican or Democratic bumper stickers on there, you know, what might you guess the partisanship of that person to be? And, and I think that most people would probably guess that a Prius driver you know, voted for Barack Obama and would be a Democrat. The odds are probably in your favor. And, and you're basing that just on, on your sum total experiences uh, of interactions with Prius drivers. Or maybe, you know, if I challenge you to be a bit more quantitative about it, you might say, Okay, well, how many Priuses have I seen with Obama bumper stickers? How many have I seen with Romney bumper stickers? And, you know, if you've seen five labeled Priuses in total and four of them were Obama, but one is Romney, you know, you can back that out to a probability of how likely that Prius driver is to be an Obama voter. They're about 80% likely if, you, if that's the pattern you've seen. And so, you know, it, again, that unmarked Prius drives by, because of that past experience, you can come to some informed conclusion about who these people are. Um, and, and we do it all the time. When you're standing in line behind somebody in Starbucks, you look at the clothes they're wearing, the book they're reading, maybe you saw the car they drove up in, the thing they order at the bar, um, and, and you can get a sense of who those people are. And, and, the, and we're doing that with micro-targeting. We're just doing that with uh, you know, dozens, hundreds, sometimes thousands of different variables on these people. Um, and, and it's really pretty stunning the, the level of precision we can get on some people. Because fundamentally, humans are fairly predictable people. Um, you, you know, I know we're all, we all think we're all precious little snowflakes, but, but for the most part, there are these patterns that are identifiable uh, and exploitable so that we can then go communicate with people in a, in a meaningful way based on those patterns. Now, it's, it's not perfect, and that's important to emphasize, 
Um, it's not perfect. You know, what I always say is that there's always a Texan living in Chinatown, you know, who throws off these models. <laughs> and there's another famous expression which says, you, you know, um, all models are wrong, right. you know, which yeah. they are. They're, you can never get to 100% accuracy. And so, um, but, but they can get pretty darn precise. Uh, and, and that's the business we're in, which is finding these patterns so that we can then go communicate with people in a meaningful way because we know who it is we're communicating with. And is the latest innovation that you've kind of added to this overall wrinkle? I mean, obviously, we've heard about uh, you know targeting and, and micro-targeting and data analysis and, and all of this for, for a number of years now, a number of, of uh, cycles and campaign cycles. Is the real innovation right now your ability to merge this all with set-top box data and target mm -hmm. television ads down to the television show? Is, is that what's really new? Yeah, that is absolutely the cutting edge of this. So micro-targeting has actually been around for, you know, probably going on uh, 12 years at this point. I think 2002 was when it was first uh, widely uh, tested and experimented with in political campaigns, thanks to our work at Target Point Consulting. Um, so, so that business of, of predicting who voters are, that's a pretty mature uh, business and product uh, and technology at this point. It's, it's advancing rapidly because of all the other advances in the computational space and, and, and the, the data science space. Um, but, but that's fairly set. That, that, that technology hasn't, hasn't, uh, it isn't necessarily new, right? But, but previously that technology had only been good for, uh, for direct voter contact. So what do we mean by that? We mean addressable forms of contact like, uh, like direct mail, like phones uh, and door knocks and emails, where we're delivering a very specific thing to a very specific person. But what's really changed is, um, you know, probably in the 2012 presidential campaign, this started to move more and more into the into digital advertising, where now um, with with banner ads, with display ads, um, and with social network with ads on social networks. Uh, you can more and more target a specific ad at a specific um, individual because of some cookie matching technology that's happening on the digital side. And so that's maturing and coming along. But the big change now is that we can tie this, this into the set-top box data and TV world. Um, and and, and it, it's important to emphasize here that ultimately TV in, in many ways is, is still a broadcast medium. You're still sending an ad to everybody watching a specific TV show. But now with the set-top box information, you can skew your buy in such a way that it is kind of heavied up with shows where there is a heavier presence of your target. Uh, and that's how that's really changing uh, television advertising. Hey. Now, now, Go ahead, go ahead. Go, there's one more thing, one, which is there is a new technology being developed as well where you can actually target a specific ad to a specific person. That's called addressable television advertising. And that's also kind of growing and changing quickly. It's not as, um, it, it's not as uh, available as, as I think the campaign world wants it to be, uh, but that is a growing, uh, um, there is growing availability there. And that there is specifically addressable. But the, the set-top box data that we're talking about is, is at this point, uh, mostly about skewing your buy to a specific audience. And on 
something like addressable television, do I opt in? How, how do I know? I mean, when I give my email address, I realize that I'm identifying myself on some level. I, you know, I'm a, mm-hmm. you may not attach it to me as a human being, but you, you know that that email address is, is this person who buys these magazines and clothes and, and, and this car, et cetera. With television, it's easy to get really freaked out that the cable company is tracking my every click as I go back and forth between, you know, sports channel and, and entertainment and, and watching every click. You can get a little freaked out on that. But I understand your assurance and, and others that, you know, and we're choosing to believe it's all accurate right now that that's at the, it's, it's aggregated data. It's down to the individual. It's anonymous. What you're just saying right now about addressable television, meaning you, the campaign, or you, the person working the, for, camp, for the campaign, you know who you're communicating to. Is that an opt-in option? Will I, do I, will I be able to know that I'm giving my identity to you? So, so right now, that addressable technology is available, I think, through three providers. It's available through uh, the two satellite providers, so DISH and DirecTV, yeah. and then also Cablevision, uh, which is mostly a New York City uh, mm-hmm. uh, cable provider. And so uh, with that, what they do also is you can provide them with a list, and there are certain, uh, certain rules about how big the list has to be. It has to be you know, a certain size. Um, and then they will not tell you, uh, they will not give information about, about who they can, they are able to find on that list. So it's still done in a form that it's aggregated to us, um, that we don't have any more information than we began with. Uh, but then that, that ad is delivered to, uh, those, uh, boxes of the people that we have identified as being interested in. Well, I have a, a lot more I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about uh, specific campaigns and maybe the Chris Christie example. Um, I want to ask you about uh, um, you know Republican versus Democratic and and various edges. Also, in terms of incumbency, incumbency and and the amount of effort it takes to create the type of infrastructure that that needs to be done for you know campaigns today. And when you're talking at the presidential level, you know are there going forward going to be some real uh, advantages. Uh, around incumbency. But before we do that, I have a special request for our much appreciated listeners. Please help Political Wire Conversations stay free to download by completing this short, anonymous survey. It'll take no more than five minutes. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners like you. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you email unless we win. Please go to www.podsurvey.com slash wire. That's www.podsurvey.com slash wire to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So, Alex, tell me about the Chris Christie example and what he did during his reelection campaign last year. Yeah, so the Christie campaign uh, was interested in being able to do uh, precisely what we were just talking about, which is having a better sense of what their actual targets were uh, were uh, watching on TV. 
And, and you know, the, the part we haven't really talked about is, is why this is so much better than the way it's done, when, that's been done in the past. Tell and me. That, you know, in the past, if, if a political campaign was interested in, in, in uh, advertising on television, which all of them presumably are, uh, they would have to rely on, on Nielsen ratings, which I'm sure your listeners have all heard of, I'm sure you've heard of. Um, and, and Nielsen ratings are great. It's a system that's been developed over many decades, and, and, and it's very stable, and, and there, there are some robust numbers. But the problem is, is that the deepest you can ever get on Nielsen are just some basic demographics. Um, so you can know, you know, what people between the ages of 35 and 65 are watching. You can know what uh, women between the ages of 50 and 65 are watching. You can have a sense of what, you know, uh, minority men are watching. But you can never really get beyond um, age, gender, and ethnicity. And what campaigns are doing now with micro-targeting and how much more advanced that targeting is getting, their targets are are looking are diverging more and more from uh, basic demographic segmentations. And so the, the further away those targets get from basic demographic segmentations, the further away the, or the less useful those demographic ratings become to us. And so, so it, instead of going and saying, what are white women 35 plus watching, which is you know, a fairly typical um, uh, ratings poll for a, a political campaign, we can actually go say, what are our persuasion targets watching? What are our get out the vote targets watching? And that's what the Christie campaign was interested in doing. And so they went through a process very similar to what we talked about before, where uh, they had their targets that they were interested in, in speaking to. And we matched that into set-top box data and were able to say in the aggregate, Here's what persuasion voters are watching. Here's what your get-out-the-vote uh, uh, get uh, targets are watching. And we're able to say at a show level, buy this show, don't buy this show uh, in, in its simplest form. And you're able to save the campaigns massive amounts of money, aren't you? Yeah, that's, that's the big thing is that you know, because we have this great information about what our targets are watching – we can find the most efficient programs to be watching on. And so you're finding all these little efficiencies like, um, you know, uh, they, they were interested in advertising on Modern Family, which is one of the most expensive shows to advertise on on television. You know, but we were able to say, hey, look, actually, you're going to get just as many of your swing targets on the middle as you would on Modern Family. And the middle actually costs a lot less. So, so go buy that one. Or, you know what? Uh, yeah, you definitely want to be advertising in the 7 a.m. hour of, of, you know, this morning news show. But, but the 9 a.m. hour, which, which we're maybe not advertising in as much originally, that actually has just as many targets, but it's at a lower price. So, so let's go, let's move some resources into that hour as well. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the, those efficiencies really add up. Um, you know, we're talking about making TV buys anywhere from 15 to 30% more efficient than what they've been done off of the standard uh, demographic ratings. Yeah, there, there's an incredible scatter plot that you provided that was published with the uh, Wall Street Journal piece, but, but it really shows how, you know, upper right-hand quadrant, by bringing all these data together, you can really target it down to, to the show. And it's, uh, it's a really fantastic example. I, I just want to give you a quick opportunity to, to break news and, and, and break every confidence that you might have had. Well, you worked with Christie. Um, he didn't happen to uh, say to you, yes, for sure, he's going to run for president in 2016, did he? And, and if he did, <laughs> would you <laughs> – yeah, go, go ahead. Go break news, please. I'm not privy to those sort of uh, conversations and discussions, so I uh, can't say. Okay. Okay. That's, that's an artful. Dodge. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> on, on all of this, on bringing together these islands of data, you know, 
was there an aha moment for you? And, and I'm really torn on this because part of me thinks, well, you know, gosh, data integration, I mean, is just kind of obvious. That's what, you know, we've been doing for, you know, beyond campaigns. I mean, data integration has been around for a couple of decades at this point. Why did it take so long? And on the other hand, I'm wildly amazed and, and, and a bit fearful and, and, and freaked out and, oh my God, you know, and, and really impressed. They're able to bring all of this together. Um, which view should I take? And, and was there kind of an aha moment for you when in, in your team when you were able to say, wait a minute, guys, we could do this now and this could really take political campaigning to the next level? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, it all happened in, in 2012 when I went up to the Romney campaign and, and you know, I was tasked with with looking at TV and, you know, what can we do around TV and what are what are smart people doing around TV right now? Um, and, and at that point, you know, I, I had not had a ton of exposure to the world of television buying. I mean, I knew enough to be dangerous, but, uh, um, you, you know, this was this was a new kind of uh, field. And, and I looked around and saw what's happening in the consumer world, and, and that's when I saw, you know, holy cow, they're, they're starting to open up this set-top box data for these anonymous matches. And so, you know, this could be a really extraordinary way to, uh, to do more with our, with our TV uh, buy because TV, it, it, it's, it's really amazing. It is the largest line item in a campaign's budget. It is a massive outlay in terms of dollars. But it really is the least efficient, and it's the least. It tends to be the least data driven, and so there, there's just a huge opportunity here to, to really, you know, to to, to use a, a phrase that's probably overused to really disrupt the way campaigns do TV here, and and what's been really interesting is finding out that that this is a very rare instance where the political world is really neck and neck and in many ways pushing the consumer world on this. Um, for, you know, for the most part, like micro-targeting, micro-targeting came to politics much later than it came to the consumer world. Um, and that's been the case with many other kind of, um, you know, marketing innovations and targeting innovations in the political world is we tend to be behind, be behind the consumer world. But here we're really neck and neck. And, and, and certainly in the last year or two, it's been politics that's been pushing the consumer world forward on, on television targeting. And did people, when you, when you came to that conclusion, um, did people get it immediately? I mean, around you, when you kind of were, were throwing this idea out there, did they say, whoa, that's really, yeah, you know what, let's, let's do this? Or, or were, were they confused or, or kind of pushed back on you and say, well, wait, that's, you know, it's just not going to work for, for X, Y, or Z reasons? Was there momentum around your idea when you, when you first brought it up? Yes and no. I mean, we had the we had the whole uh, range of reactions. I think, um, and and uh, you know, from some of the skeptics, I think some of the skeptics had some very legitimate pushback. Um, TV, the way TV is bought and sold, is still um, you know very very different from how uh, digital is bought and sold, and that that does make it harder to leverage the data um, and and some of the efficiencies that are found in TV. Um, but but you know for the people that kind of saw this and said th this could really work, you know it, it does really work. That that TV to begin with is so inefficient that even you know doing stuff all around the margins uh, makes for for really amazing improvements. Um, and so, so, you know, I, we've had the whole range of, of reactions here. And, um, and I think everybody now, we're in a place where most everybody really agrees that, 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 that this can be helpful and it can be useful. Um, so, you know, there are going to be more and more campaigns doing this as we move forward.
And Alex, as we kind of move towards closing, I want to follow on your Romney experience. And, and I mean, much, much has been written and discussed, of course, about the gap between what the Obama's, about what Obama's campaign had been able to put into place with their incredible head start in, in coming off of 2008 versus what you and, and others were tasked with trying to execute um, around the Romney campaign with not enough time. First of all, is that analysis correct? Is what we've heard publicly about those challenges, um, what actually what, what, what actually occurred privately? And, and secondly, how important is that head start? Yeah, I, I mean, the head start is is huge. It's, it's massive because, you know, nowadays, I, I think the, the basics that you need, the things that you need to do the very basics of campaigning, the blocking and tackling of campaigning, are so you know tech heavy and so resource intensive um, that having that head start really really matters because you you don't just have the time to build things you also have the resources both in terms of financial resources and also human resources to build those things as well and so so that 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 advantage that head start advantage really can't be I, I think I think uh, I, I think it's so important. Um, and, and it really, because of that, it makes me wonder, I think, about, you know, as you alluded to before, about the power of incumbency. I just, I just find it so hard to imagine a circumstance, sort of, you know, massive scandal or economic calamity or, or some such thing, where an incumbent president fails to get reelected because they have this distinct advantage of not having to worry about the primary and being able to think about be, their reelection, you know, from the day after inauguration. Um, and, and, and having that time just makes a, a huge difference. I, I, you know, I've been at a few of these, uh, conferences like industry conferences for data science, um, with, uh, w- with the Obama campaign's chief data scientists and, and, and he'll say to the crowd there, you know, can you believe I only had two years to make this happen? <laughs> and, and we only had, you know, six months to make it happen. Um, and, and that, that to me is just a, just a huge advantage that, that is really important, I think, to emphasize and consider moving forward. Yeah, I, I've heard you talk about this, and it does make me think and, and worry a bit, as I know it does for you as well, about the um, advantages, perhaps unfair advantages of, of incumbency. It's almost like the um, gerrymandering and, and crazy con- congressional district drawing, you know, and, and aligning that's occurred in, you know, all of our states over all of our years. And, and it's like it, it almost it, it creates such a home court advantage um, that you, you know, I mm-hmm. certainly worry uh, about the, the effect on, on, on incumbency. As, as folks in your industry start to think about solutions to that, do, do, do the parties need to take a bigger role? I mean, does somebody need to kind of, quote, own the investment in the infrastructure so that that infrastructure is in place so that there isn't that? Has, I mean, what are folks thinking about in your industry yeah. around how to, how to combat that uh, home court advantage? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting question that I think everybody's trying to figure out right now, and you see it being handled a variety of different ways. Um, you know, on the on the Democratic side, you have you know uh, what seems to be an infrastructure being built on the ready for Hillary side, um, and you know to what extent can they share that infrastructure or sell that infrastructure to the actual Hillary campaign? You know, should it ever uh, manifest itself, which I'm sure it will. Um, and, you know, you also have on the right, you know, what sort of institutions can we put together on the right um, to, to be sure that, that we don't suffer from some of these problems? Um, so you see things like the data trust being developed, which is, you know, basically a data warehouse uh, uh, institution for, uh, for the right. Um, you have 
um, you know, groups like Parabellum Labs being put together to do, you know, R&D and hacking and, 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 build, and uh, building, you know, software uh, resources for campaigns to use, um, you know, that, that could be helpful to a 2016 candidate. But I think it remains to be seen, you know, what the ideal uh, way of, of, of building these things and then being in a position where they can be used by candidates, uh, it, you know, it, it remains to be seen how to do that most efficiently. But everybody's trying to figure that out. And, and if, if that can be figured out, how you can grow these things kind of independent of and alongside a candidate, um, you know, then that concern I think we have about, about the power of incumbency, then, then that can, you know, correspondingly shrink, hopefully. Ultimately, is all of this, is the micro-targeting, is it a good thing? I mean, I, I think a lot, I worry a lot about uh, the, the massively declining trust in government. I mean, you've seen the same stats I do, the trust in government, in Congress, all-time low, Obama approval ratings, uh, all-time low. Um, as you think about the root causes of why many no longer trust government to make our lives better, um, how, how might new advances in connecting with voters affect that? How, how do you do you think about what you do and the trends and the innovation, the technology and the and the targeting? Is that a way? I mean, is there a positive? Is it a good thing, or or is this yet another area that where I need to worry about how uh, you know trust in government risks uh, getting undermined? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, I think it's ultimately a good thing, and and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I think you know. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we're able to ensure that candidates and campaigns speak to voters about the issues they care about. Um, you know, so we'll we'll build models, we'll build issue models around issues that probably will never be the subject of a television ad. And if they didn't have this sort of targeting, they probably wouldn't be communicating on these issues because it would be so hard to find people that are interested in it because they're not, you know, 50% or 60% uh, you know, issues. They're the 10%, the 15%, the 20% issues. And so people are getting better information that's customized to who they are. And this goes hand in hand with the concern about privacy and Big Brother and all these things. And you know, so much depends on, on, on people's perspective on this stuff. You know, I've done surveys before on these issues where you know, if, if you go in and you ask a question and you mention privacy and big brother and snooping and and all this other stuff people say well no i don't want anybody doing doing this sort of stuff with my data but if you ask you know would you like companies to make smart decisions about how they communicate with you and customize that information to you and your interests would you like that people say yeah i'd definitely like that um so so there's a there's a there's a real element of good here in that you're connecting people with the things that they're most interested in now i think other people would also say well no this targeting allows you to you know, really speak out of both sides of your mouth, um, you know, to go say one thing to, a, a, to one group and, and a contradictory thing to another group. Um, and while you certainly could, you, you, you probably could, you wouldn't get away with it, I think, in this day and age, because it, it, we're so connected that it would be really hard to imagine circumstances where, where people didn't find out about that, that sort of stuff, that sort of contradictory messaging. It's not in a candidate's best interest to do that. Um, so there are a lot of, I think, you know, a lot of really good things to come out of this. Um, so so I'm, I'm a believer, um, and I would encourage your listeners to, to be believers as well. <laughs> uh, and I would hope and expect you to you to be a believer, of course, and, and you know, guess either way, <laughs> whether one's a, a believer uh, or not, and there surely will be folks on both sides, um, no doubt that not only is it here to stay, it is the future of campaigning and of politics. And uh, Alex Lundry is, you know, really defining the vanguard and uh, and is at the intersection of that political 
analytical and technical development. Alex Lundry, uh, the co-founder of Deep Root Analytics, chief data scientist of Target Point Consulting, formerly uh, the director of data science for Mitt Romney. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for your time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.